You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh preaches from Psalm 13 as we continue our Summer in the Psalms series. Our prayer is that God would speak to us, encourage us, and challenge us as we listen to his word. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bible, would you open to Psalm 13? Psalm 13 is going to be our text today. It's not many verses, but there are so many great truths in this text today. But as we get started today, I want to bring you up to date on something. If you have a student at high school camp, if they are at Camp Tanglewood, you are expecting them to be home around life group time. Uh, we got word this morning that the buses are running a little bit late, a little bit being right around an hour late uh, to pick them up and to bring them back. So here's what you need to know. We want you to collect your kids. Please don't neglect that, okay? Get your kids today, but they are going to be picked up at Juniker Jeweler, okay? So you want to, at 1130, between 1130 and 12 o'clock is when we expect the buses to be there. Uh, if you could take your, your vehicles over there and collect your children and their stuff, all of their stuff, if you could do all of that, and that's where you're going to be able to collect them today, okay? So I wanted you to be aware. Hopefully, you've received about four messages by now uh, from our texting service. Uh, if not, we want to get you connected on how we can stay up up to date on real-time information. Uh, you can see any member of the NextGen staff, uh, and they will be glad to help you with that. But just wanted to make you aware of that, um, that they will not be returning at the, the time that we said, but it will be an hour, a little bit over an hour later, between 1130 and 12 o'clock at Juniper Jeweler, okay? So with that being said, we are going to jump into Psalm 13 today. Now, uh, it would seem that we have a lot of time to cover, cover very few verses, but I think today, uh, even as I was writing and praying through it, I wished we had more time. As always, I wished we had not just more time today, but more time over days, um, because uh, this, of all the Psalms, of all 150, this is my favorite. Um, this is the most personal to me, and I'm going to share why uh, in just a, a few moments, but uh, I just kind of want to bring you into the space to, to which this sacred Psalm was written. This is a Psalm of David. Uh, so if you are in your Bible, you can typically see that by uh, looking at the heading. Uh, it'll say to the choir master, a Psalm of David. Uh, so we, we know that this is a song to be sung um, to the people of Israel, and it was written by King David himself. Uh, and so just a little, little background for, for me. Many of you know a little bit about my story. You know uh, who I am, where I come from. Um, but but for, before I came here and had the honor of pastoring Broadmoor for the last three years, uh, I served my home church in Picayune, Mississippi. The church is called New Palestine. Uh, it's, it's outside the city limits, as if the city limits even mean anything in Picayune. Um, and so you... To even find it, you got to know where you're going, and you're still going to get lost and need to call the church office to figure out where, where to turn and where not to turn. So we're in the middle of, of Pearl River County, and we are at a church that is pretty small, but is in desperate need of light. Light in the sense of everybody around it, everybody in our area was, was seemingly uh, really broken. Uh, and so uh, many of the things that I had the opportunity to do throughout the day, whether that would be <coughs> making hospital visits or, or going into different homes or, or cooking Wednesday night meals or, or whatever it would be for our church family, um, one of my favorite things and one of the most sacred things to me was counseling. 
Uh, it would be an opportunity for me to meet with people, uh, just as they were, to come into my office. Uh, and generally, I would meet uh, two times or four times a day, two, two slots in the morning, two slots in the afternoon, uh, each of those slots being right at an hour. Uh, and I would do that four days a week for almost eight and a half years. Uh, and so in that counseling time, and truly it was my favorite thing that I got to do, um, I've noticed that there was a theme that developed across that time and space. Um, when people would come in, whether they were churched people or unchurched, whether they were Christian people and devoted to Christ, or they had no idea who Jesus was or how to worship him, the theme seemed to be pretty similar across the board. And, and here's, here's where it kind of landed. Because the Deep South, and I would even consider this the Deep South, were heavily religious. Like, like we, we know things in our mind, but we're not quite sure of them in our heart. We can tell you the right phrases, we can give you the right answers, we can act the part in front of everybody, but when doubt truly creeps in, when situations are truly harder than we can handle, that's when our heart goes into a really dark place. And it was in the sacred setting of those counseling sessions where I would hear from people from all walks of life and all their journey, and they would say the same thing, and it would sound something like this, I'm so mad at God, but I don't know how to tell him. And they would say that with trembling lips and tears streaming down their face. It wasn't an issue of, I don't know if there is a God. I think that was resolved in their minds. That was resolved in our minds. But for them, it was the issue of, if God is good, and we'll say that God is good, we will say that God is all-powerful. We will say that God is ever-present. So if God is all-good, and God is all-powerful, and God is ever-present, then why did this, whatever the thing was that landed them in my office, why did he allow that to happen? And you can hear it in their voice. They loved God, but they were angry at God. They wanted to, they wanted to speak well of him because they dare not speak ill of God, but in the, the heart of hearts that they had, it was absolutely broken into a million pieces and they didn't know what to say. And their fear was if they shared that out in the open to the church, then, then they would start to get judged. The fear was that if they actually shared the, the darkness of their soul with others around them, that they would get shunned because you dare not speak ill of God. And kind of the beauty of those moments is we had opportunities day after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, to say to each and every one of them, God is big enough to handle your pain. He's big enough to handle your anger, your, your fear, your tears. He's big enough to handle all of it. And it would be generally in Psalm 13 where we would begin to have those conversations. Because I would say to them, did you know that there's something in the Bible, there, there's even like, like a whole psalm devoted to the very thing that you are in here for. Now, it may not be the subject matter in the same way that brought you in, but the feelings are very similar. We have the king of Israel, one who was anointed and appointed by God, voicing words that we didn't know were okay to voice. And so they would read it and they would almost be flabbergasted at, at what David would say. But the psalm isn't just personal for me because of that. The psalm is personal for me because much before that, God used this psalm to begin to shape or reshape my life. 
I'm gonna spend, I know typically we jump right into the text and we keep going, but I, I, wanna, I wanna share a little bit with you if, if that's okay, all right? The psalm is personal for me because this is the very starting point in which God began to put a very broken me back together. A believer, mind you, but a very broken believer. One who was very uh, Genesis 3, if, if you're familiar with that, when Adam and Eve fall, what was their posture? They wanted to hide and they wanted to, to allow their guilt and shame to overtake them, so they hid from God. And they started to deflect when God started asking them questions. That was very much me where God met me here in Psalm 13. I'll start with kind of the end. In 2008, I was diagnosed with depression and generalized anxiety disorder. But that was a very long process to get there. Leading up to that diagnosis and that reality was incredibly rough. Life had seemingly just started in my adult, in my, my adult season. Katie and I had just gotten married. We were married just a little bit over a year. I was working my first real full-time church job. Katie was in occupational therapy school and I was in the middle of my master's degree at New Orleans Seminary. In that season, it was supposed to be awesome and amazing, but it was the hardest and the most soul-crushing season I've ever experienced. It was in that season of life that I thought, I can do everything, and I can do it exceedingly well. I don't ever need to ask for help, because if you ask for help, that means you're weak. If I ask for help, what would my wife think of me? I'm supposed to be the strong one and the protector. What would my peers think of me? because I always had a little bit of that imposter syndrome. You guys familiar with that? That's the idea that you really aren't who everybody else believes you to be and you know it. And so you try to uh, Wizard of Oz it, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And so we try to make people see the best sides of us which really aren't real at all and we never allow them to see the real side of us and it continues to be a cancer that destroys our soul. That's where we are. What would people think if I actually let them in on who I was and what I was thinking and the life that I was contemplating? The more pressure I felt, the more I walled up. The more I walled up, the more detached I became from everything. Things went from bad to worse quickly. I found myself in the season, I was working at a church, I'll leave the church name unknown, you could follow my resume and probably find it. It's the one with a fire escape next to my office. For I would go and I would clock in. That was back when we clocked in. And I would clock in and a supervisor would make their rounds to make sure we were in our office and I would wave and smile and be working away on emails and as soon as they left, I would go down the fire escape. And I would get in my car and I would go home and I would pull the curtains and I would get into my covers and I would cry. It was an awful season. And I'd wait to the end of the day. I would set an alarm when I knew the supervisor would be making their rounds in the afternoon. And I would come back up the fire escape and be in my office and just smile and wave. Neglecting school. Like I remember being in the throes of master's work. I remember one, one particular fateful night when all of this comes to a head. When I have five papers that are due. All the papers are 15 plus pages. The night before they are due, I have zero pages written on number one. I didn't know what to do. People would call and text, and I would never return those calls or text. I'm sorry, even in help, I still don't do that well. 
canceling every plan that we would make just because it seemed too people-y. Anybody familiar with that? Strangely, I wouldn't talk or text, but I would spend countless hours on my phone, my precious Blackberry. Anybody remember those things? Searching WebMD or Dr. Google to see whatever it, what I could find to see if I could find a physical diagnosis of what was wrong with me because surely I couldn't have mental health issues. I became so sad and frustrated with myself. I began to believe the lie that Katie and everyone else that I love would be better off if I weren't here. So I began to dwell on that. Not being here. The burden that I was. The burden that I was being. And it was in those thoughts, and it was in that dark place, that my wife looked at me and said, Josh, you need help. That's what I should have said. But I felt exposed. Because that is the core fear that lives inside of me. It's the core fear that lives inside of me today. It is the thing in me that I don't want anybody to know that I need help. I want to give help. I want to be there for everybody. But I want you to know that I need help. And so when my wife looks at me and says with great trepidation in her voice, Josh, you need help. I felt exposed. The button of my core fear was pressed. In my mind, all the stuff I was doing was in secret. But when Katie said, you need help, my response was very Genesis 3. Hide and deflect. I don't need help. You need help. That never sound familiar. I'm fine. I don't know what you're talking about. You're the one with the problems. To her response, yeah, it's you. <laughs> we talked through that in counseling. My wife, in a great grace, has always and is always, when she says to me, baby, you need help. She used a phrase that I'll never forget, and we still use it to this day jokingly. You're a pod person. I know that sounds strange, and that sounded strange in the moment, but guys, I, I fully understood what she meant exactly when she said it. And she was right. I was a shell of a man. I was just going through emotions very poorly at that of life. So after many tears from both of us, I said, I don't know what to do. I said my greatest fear out loud. I don't know what to do. I was in the counseling program at the time at New Orleans Seminary, and Katie said, call somebody, call one of your professors. And that's exactly what I did. I called a man named Dr. J. Alvaro. I've talked to him one time since and told him how thankful I am for his grace to me. But I called Dr. Alvaro, and I think by God's grace and timing, he started to breathe life again back into me through God's word. For those that have heard some of my story before, this is usually where I say, this is where Philippians 4 came alive to me. But that sermon's going to be for the fall. Before I could get to, don't be anxious about anything with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God. I needed to know that God was able to handle everything that I was about to bring to him. It was pretty dark. It was pretty gross. And to me, it was terrifying. 
As I explained to Dr. Alvaro my situation and my reluctance to talk to God about it, he said, Josh, God already knows how you feel. He already knows you're broken. He already knows you need help. He says, and I'll never forget this, to him, when you say to him, God, I need help, is worship to him and healing to you. When we come to the end of ourselves, we have a choice to make. We can hide and act like that's not really a thing. No, that's not real. It'll just blow over. Or we can bring it into the light. And Dr. Alvaro, great wisdom that he gave me and gives us today is when we share who we are, the broken nature, all of us as we are to the Father, it is worship to him and healing for us. He said, look at Psalm 13. Guys, I'd read this passage before probably many times. But this was the first time this passage grabbed my soul and hugged it tightly. I could almost hear God say, Josh, I've got you and I've always had you. And it's through that lens that I want to share this beautiful psalm with you today. So if you have your copy of God's Word, Psalm 13, verse 1. This is a psalm of David, king of Israel anointed and appointed, God is going to give him everything that he needs to lead the people of God, to bring God all the glory, honor, and praise. And this is where this man is. Verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? See, one thing that you'll notice about the psalm is this cry is not a cry of doubting faith. David knows that God is real. Think back on David's life and all the miraculous things that God had done up until this point. How could David not know? This cry isn't a cry of doubt. It's a cry of affliction, of sadness, of real-time pain. So as you're going to see through verse 1 and 2, there are going to be four questions that David asks. They're going to start the same way. How long? That's a big deal, okay? Because that's not asking the question why. It is a similar thing if you were to go back and read Psalm 10, also very real and raw. That psalm asked the question why, as if why is this happening? David in Psalm 13 expresses something different. He expresses this idea of I understand that suffering is part of the life of the, the person of God, but God, doesn't it seem a bit much doesn't my suffering seem like it's gone on long enough? So he asked the question, the timing question, as how long? How long will you forget me? Forever? The, the word forget me out of the ESV is probably a, a different translation, maybe even better translated. How long will you withhold comfort from me? Second one that you hear, how long will you hide your face from me? The face of God is the presence of God. David feels like he is outside the presence of God. This verse helps us better understand David's current state, and I want you to track with me, okay? This isn't just a little bit bad. This, for him, 
is like the place that God's presence is not. Whatever David's going through right here is like hell to him. Essentially what he says is, God, you are the one who can give comfort, but for some reason you're not. God, you are the one who can wrap me in your presence, but you are choosing not to. How long do I have to suffer, God? Verse 2, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So again, we have two more how longs. How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow all the day long? Take counsel is this idea in the Hebrew to have turmoil in the mind. Going back to the mental health journey. One of the, the worst parts of generalized anxiety disorder, if you in the room, if stats tell me anything, a lot of you in the room share that diagnosis with me. I'm here to tell you you're not alone. But one of the worst things that happens with GAD is what we call ruminating thoughts, thoughts that won't stop and they continue to spiral and get worse and worse and worse. I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever jumped in your vehicle and you started driving down the road and the trip was only five minutes, but from the time that you got in your vehicle, you were completely fine, and by the time you got out of your vehicle, you were fighting mad because of the conversation you just had with somebody in your brain? Just me? Cool. It goes well for my generalized anxiety disorder. Thanks. Because in that moment, even though nothing in real life happened in our mind, our thoughts continued to spiral out of control. That's what David is saying. That's, that's what this word picture is here. That he's left with his own counsel, his own thoughts, and they're not good. They're not helpful. They're not doing anything to bring healing to him. And he says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long will the bad guys win? God, this is not right. But if you look carefully at the format in which the way David writes, you'll notice that in your Bible, there is a, a line break or a pause in between verses 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. And what you'll, you'll notice there is that it seems to be in that break that, that something changes. So verses 1 and 2 is a feeling and an expression. Verses 3 and 4, feeling and expression. Verses 5 and 6. And it's in that break that, that something in David shifts. This space notes a pause or a transition from one thing to another. Verses 1 and 2, David would be on the outside with raw and unbridled emotion. But in verses 3 and 4, David speaks with a more sober but still afflicted concern. Look at verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David gets to the point, God, listen to me. Answer me, please. Light up my eyes. God, give me strength. God, they're fading. If you don't, I'm going to die. Like this, hear me out, hear me out. I know that you could be hearing this from any person on the planet, but I want you to understand who writes these words, who pins them. This is God's anointed King David. This is the one who would have unfettered access to the Father, and this is the condition of his heart in this place. 
And essentially what he says is, God, if you don't hear me, if you don't meet me, I am as good as dead. I need you. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in those moments, and, but you didn't know what to say because, because maybe you've been taught and you've grown up, grown up in a religious culture that's taught you that you have to smile all the time and you have to give praise all the time and you can never be sad. That is awful. David teaches us that we can come to God usually most powerfully in our fears and our tears. Look at verse 4. David continues, least my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Least my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So, so essentially he says, my enemies will believe that they've won over me and you, God. Then he says, probably his core fear. For, for me, it's I need help. For the king of Israel, it says that he is shaken. Now, this is a big deal, and we don't have the time to go into all the Old Testament stories, but when God's people showed up and the presence of God went before them, it said that all the enemies of God, they were shaken. Think back at Jericho, when the spies go in and they meet Rahab, and Rahab's account is this, in this heavily fortified city, hey, we know, we know that you are men of God. For the men in this town are shaking in their boots. They are shaken. Why? Because they know God's presence is for them. So when we come to this and we see David say, almost as if he were an outsider, I am shaken, God. I am terrified. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make this better. Then comes another pause. Now, whether the pause is meant for time or understanding or both, David ends this psalm with an expression of trust and worship. Here's what he says in verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. See, in some of David's most troubling times in life, he clings to what he knows to be true. Notice the tense, though. He says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Therefore, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. God, I trust in all the things that you have done for me. Therefore, I will continue to trust in you. God, I don't know how you will do it, but I know you will. That's his heart. That's his posture here. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know that you will because you are faithful. You are good. I know it may not look like I think it should or desire it to be, but I know you are faithful and I know you are good and I know it is done. Verse six, and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I will praise my Lord and my God because he has been good to me. So David ends this psalm of lament with highest praise. I imagine, though, it is through tear-filled eyes and a body on the ground and his hands raised high. As our worship team comes back up and we move into a time of response, I want you to hear me. 
It wasn't a few days after my call with Dr. Alvaro in meeting the Lord through Psalm 13 that I set up the appointment with my doctor and said, I need help. That moment led to a diagnosis. Honestly, one that was afraid of for the longest time. I don't wear it as a badge of honor today, but I do wear it. I wear it as a continual sign that I need grace. I am not perfect. I am not sufficient. I am not the king of glory, but I do know him. And it is through his grace that he holds me and sustains me every day. And that moment led to a diagnosis. That diagnosis led to a medicine, or a lot of medicine. That medicine led to counseling, a lot of counseling. And ultimately, it led to a healthy everyday fight for healing. And in that everyday fight for healing, honesty and vulnerability before the Father, I found what I needed. I needed to worship Him with all that I was. Not just the cleaned up me, not just the stuff I wanted people to see, but just as I was, I needed to come. Psalm 13 is a lament. It's King David's expressing great sorrow, but it is no less worship. Don't believe the lie that worship always has to be happy and smiles. Some of our greatest moments of worship have come through deep sadness and blinding tears. Church, God knows you. God sees you. And God loves you. Right where you are. Today. Right now. Our Father is right there with you. If today you find yourself standing tall, I pray that you would stand tall in the grace of His sovereign hands. But if today you find yourself falling apart, pray that you know it is safe for you to fall apart in his sovereign hands. I am thankful for this summer in the Psalms, for it is in this place that we see real life and real worship. I don't want you to ever think that if you come to Broadmoor that you have to have your life all together. Matter of fact, this is a perfect place for imperfect people. So ladies and gentlemen, if you are here and you are broken, which is all of us? I am telling you, God sees your hurt. Don't, don't follow the lie that Adam and Eve believed that they needed to go and hide and lie and deflect. Take the darkness and bring it into the light. Bring it into the light and allow him to bring healing to you in ways that you've never thought possible. I believe that can start in the invitation, but hear me out, I don't believe that's the end of it. 
one of your very next steps may very well be schedule an appointment with your doctor. I talk to guys all the time who are struggling with depression symptoms and anxiety symptoms and mental health care struggles, but they don't want to let people know. Guys, we know. We think it's in secret. You think nobody knows. You think it's not affecting everyone. Everyone sees it and it affects everything. So the next step generally is this. Josh, I wouldn't even know what to say if I went to the doctor. Here's a line I give people that I meet with. Hey, doc, I need help. Start there. Say those words and watch what happens next. This isn't just for men, though. For all of us across this room, I want you to understand that God is not asking you to come with the perfect versions of who you are or just the Sunday versions. It is all of life. Parents, if you are struggling in parenting, bring that insufficiency to him. Couples in your marriage, if you are struggling in your marriage, bring those insufficiencies to him. And your singleness or your widowedness, God, we give it to you. And your job with integrity, maybe it's what you do when nobody else is around, but you don't know how to break that cycle of sin, but you're trying to act like it's not there, it's there and it's affecting everybody. So you come and you bring it. A great place to start is to say, I need help. If you need help today, we're here. I would love to pray with you. Our team would love to pray with you. We have an army of team right outside those doors that would love to pray with you this morning. But I wanna be clear with you. This is not a say a prayer and it's all over. This is the beginning of a journey of in a healthy way fighting for healing every day of your life. For I wanna be honest with you, I love the Lord Jesus. I know he loves me. I know my soul forever belongs to him. I know that he has blessed me 40 years of my life. I know I can count it good as done, that he will bless me how many ever days I have left. But that doesn't change the fact that I have to choose every morning to fight for joy. And so this morning, I want to challenge you, church. Don't let be Christianity something that you wear. Let it be something that you are and live out. We have a faithful God, an all-sufficient Savior, a powerful Spirit who was promised never to leave us nor forsake us to know everything that we've ever gone through. He has experienced it and knows the way through. And he tells us, don't fear, for I am with you. As we pray, whatever posture you need to take to respond, I pray that that's exactly what the Lord would have you do today. Holy Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the joy that we find in deep sorrow. We thank you for the authentic worship that we find through tear-filled eyes. We thank you for the supernatural ability of your Holy Spirit to meet us in our deepest and darkest of depressed days. 
And when our mind is spiraling out of control and our heart feels off course, we know that it is you that holds us and never lets us go. God, I am thankful that this relationship between you and me has very little to do with me and everything to do with you. That when I have no more strength and I can't hang on one more second, that you will never let me go. And God, I pray that across this room today for men and women who are struggling in their life because they feel like they're losing control and they're, they're, they're beginning to let go and they're so terrified. God, help them let go. Let them fall into your sovereign hands and may you pick them back up and put them together exactly how you see fit. Jesus, use this time now to bring yourself glory. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name that we pray. And we now stand and respond, church. Would you stand with us?